Welcome to Parenting in the Trenches. I'm Karen Peters, a registered clinical counselor, and I'm a mom. We're getting real about all things family from a mental health perspective. So let's get to it. Okay, welcome back, Renee. We're Thanks for having again. me. Oh, <laughs> yes. This is good. Yes. So this is like our first lab version of an episode ever. We've not done this before. And I always try and be as practical as we can and insert kind of like on the ground efforts for what it would look like to do certain things that we cover in each episode. But we've never gone this far as to say, okay, let's just hone in on something we've already talked about and kind of play with what it would look like so that parents, because this is what I've learned. I can read some stuff in books or listen to a speaker or new, learn a new approach. And in the moment, I'm thinking, this isn't like rocket science, you know, like this makes sense to me. Like the words playfulness, acceptance, curiosity, empathy, that makes sense to me. And then my kid comes in the room and does something and I'm like, yeah, I actually have no idea how to implement that. So today we're going to try. So I've written out five kind of examples. We're going to see how far we can get. Um, and Renee's on the hot seat and she's going to help us either I'm going to be the parent uh, and I'm going to throw something at her or she's going to talk to me a bit about if a client presented with this, if parents were struggling and gave her a call, what were the types of things if we were to apply the PACE approach to this, what would it sound like to try and coach someone through how they would use this method in these scenarios? So just as a quick review, go back to listen to the last episode because that's where we discuss the ins and outs of Dr. Hugh's um, PACE method. But just to recap quickly, those are the four, uh, the acronym stands for playfulness, acceptance, curiosity, and empathy. And this is a treatment approach that is centered around attachment-based therapy and healing from childhood trauma. Okay. How do you feel, Renee? Are you ready? I'm ready. This is going, this is going to be an experiment, and let's see how it goes. <laughs> okay. Okay. This is based on um, probably two years ago, I had parents uh, calling me asking me for some advice around how to help their child move away from stealing things and what they would have called hoarding. So a lot of collecting things that belong to other people. So uh, we'll call him Sam. Sam was stealing and hoarding other people's belongings and it didn't seem to matter if this was a person that he knew really well or it was just random people. If he went to like a, a birthday party, he kind of collects stuff from the house and bring it home. And the parents have tried explaining that it's really disrespectful to take things that belong to others. But their child does not seem to remember this the next time um, that he ends up trying to take something. And so they often feel like they're not gaining any ground. So what they have done was they've, they have kind of like checks and balances in place. They said, well, we, you know, we started to build in routine rhythms where every day after school, we would kind of unpack his backpack together and decide together what belonged to him and what didn't. And they'd still end up finding things like hidden under his bed. Um, and something else they shared was that every time they kind of confronted him 
or said, you know, hey, what's up with this? We noticed this. Um, they noticed that um, there just was like no ownership or or kind of like um, acknowledgement emotionally that this would impact somebody else. So they were not sure how to go about addressing this. So I was wondering from a PACE approach, um, and just as an aside, so Sam, Sam was adopted when he was two, and he's now seven. Okay. So he's in grade two, and um, they feel like they have a pretty solid relationship otherwise with him, but this behavior, this set of behaviors, they just can't seem to shift. Okay. So there's a lot to unpack there. I think the first thing that I always tell parents to can to to continue to do would be to be playing the detective and to practice that curiosity piece. It, based on the information that you gave me, the first flag that comes up is that Sam has no ability to take ownership of his actions for this. So when I hear that, I hear shame. I hear mm-hmm. that it's too hard for me to admit that I've done something wrong because maybe if you find that there's something that I've done wrong, that you won't love me anymore. Um, this is often, this is most of the time outside of a child's conscious awareness, but this is that piece that's deeply embedded within them that, that thinks that there's, that they are a problem or that there's something broken with them. Um, so often confronting this sort of thing directly you can lead to those sorts of denials of, I didn't do it. And it's, uh, or defending their actions because they have to they have to defend themselves. When we're confront when we're talking about these sorts of things, I mean, you can ask the most direct questions in a really non-judgmental way. Coming back to the acceptance piece, there we're really trying to make sense of what is Sam's experience. Why is Sam collecting things? And so, I'm going to give provide a couple of options, and then. And then people can, you can play around with it because it's not, it's not that there's this easily marked a roadmap where you say these magic words and Sam opens up and says, Oh, there's no script. There's no script to follow. (laughs) It's, it's trial and error somewhat. And it's being really attuned to body language and to his responses and to what's going on. So I'm going to preface one more thing that I'm saying when we are practicing when you're practicing pace so much of what you're going to communicate is through nonverbal uh, nonverbal mm-hmm. communication so body language the positioning of your arms your 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 body and then also your tone of voice your the pitch the prosody you really want to be able to match the emotion of your child so that you end up regulating them. So if they're feeling, if they come into, let's say you come into this conversation and Sam's super elevated, you wouldn't want to come in really low. You'd want to match his intensity, maybe not, maybe not the same emotion, but you know, definitely not the same emotion, especially if he's like angry, but you'd want to match the, if he's dysregulated, yeah. you want to match him um, with the goal being that your nervous system will calm his nervous system down it creates regulation in the way that you match in the way that you uh, connect emotionally as well. When you do this, it also leads to 
Sam hopefully being able to kind of reflect on the experience to re-experience this event from a different person I mean a different person's perspective they're open to different interpretations about why they're taking things and stealing things um hopefully hopefully chipping away at some of that shame and opening it up to different possibilities and as you do that through connecting emotionally you're also leading you're, you're creating that safety where he's going to feel safe to explore what's going on understand what it means and then how to make sense moving forward so there's that emotion piece uh, that you're communicating verbally and non-verbally. Uh, there's also this fact that wanting to talk about the same thing. So sometimes when we talk about things, kids don't want to talk about them. So that's when we muse out loud. And so given this situation here, it might make sense to start off, you know, let's say we're, you're driving in a car, Sam's sitting in the back seat, so you're not having eye contact towards each other. And so it feels less intense. and there's different things to try. So one of them might be, Sam, you know, I've been thinking about when I, when we pick you up from school and we have to, we have to check your backpack uh, and we, and we find things in your backpack that are, you know, sometimes, sometimes at our own and sometimes you've taken things from kids. I've been thinking about this more. Do you know, I wonder why you take things from other kids sometimes. So we're not asking him, Sam, did you steal this? Cause we know, we already know that that's what he's right. done. No. No. Yeah, but he's going to say, no, no, I didn't. Yeah. And if he says, I didn't take that, you think, well, you know, your mom and dad, they're pretty clever. They know a lot of things. And and and, and you don't even argue that point. You just you just yeah. kind of gloss over it. And you can say, you know, I'm, I've been around the, the block a time or two and I'm and I'm and mom and dad are mom and dad are pretty clever. Um, but I wonder why I wonder why you're I wonder why you're taking things. I wonder if there are things that you really like. And there's a part of you that knows it's not right to take them. And yet you still want to take it anyway. And, and so you need a bit of help making some good choices in that. Or you might say something like, Sam, you know, I noticed that you seem to be taking, you, you seem to be taking special things from people. I wonder if, if you take, if you take, you know, Johnny's special toys or you take Johnny's special things, um, if that's a way for you to feel like you're special, feel like, feel like you have something special as well. Hmm. I'm truly just musing out loud, curiously yeah. about why, what are, what are Sam's intentions for taking something? Mm -hmm. And what's it's behind it. What's behind it. And well, here's, here's what I was thinking when you were modeling that I was thinking from a parent perspective, I think what we're most tempted to do is try and reflect how do you think that made Johnny feel when you took? Like, because what we want to see is that our kid identifies how it impacts other people. And so I think we often go in with that, even if we're doing it in a curious way or in a playful way or in accepting that, like, oh, I noticed you did this. And I wonder how that made so-and-so feel. I feel like that's like a natural progression for many people. We will want to go, is, how is that in in this process? Like, would you steer clear of that? So I is think, it, do you stay centered with their own experience? You stay centered with their own experience at first. At first you do, because okay. you're really trying to understand why are you doing that? And what's hard yeah. about that? And particularly, I wonder why it's hard to tell me. I wonder if there's a part of you that doesn't trust me. Hmm. Because if you were scared to tell me, I wonder if you're worried that if I find out that you do something wrong, that I won't love you anymore. I wonder if you're worried that if you do something that I don't like, that I'll get, I'll get mad enough at you that, 
that we won't get to be a family anymore, depending what you think the underlying concern is. If this is a child that's just lived with you and that's stealing or hoarding things, or if this, or if this is a child that's lived with you for a long, your child's lived with you for a long time, then you know, or that you won't be special to me anymore. And then I'll see that I'll think of you as a problem and that I, and that I won't love you anymore because that, if that was true, then that would make sense that you don't want to tell me when you do something wrong, because that would be, that would be so scary and be so sad if I didn't love you anymore. And even as I say that, you can tell that my voice just completely drops and tries to, it continues to get in at the deeper experience. And what's so, what, what I love so much about pace is that you're actually reframing the experience for the child. And you're not Mm -hmm. saying, why did you not tell me that? And, and it's, and it's getting at the underlying reason opening up to the possibility that that the child that your child wants connection doesn't know how to have connection and that and that your relationship is bigger than whatever the situation is yeah yeah if sam is a kid who says things like i didn't take it or okay let's let's try this he can hear what so what would happen if what's your worry if my worry would be you won't let me keep those things i want those things oh those are really nice things sam oh i i really like this too what do you like about this i try and build connection there mm-hmm. oh you like this okay. part about it oh i love that too that would be so fun if we had this thing together you're still focusing on the experience and because you want to have joint attention yeah. then you want to get at his experience of like why does sam like this oh sam i would love to play with this with you yeah that would be so much fun imagine if we could do this or that and 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 then you so you're still building the connection piece oh it is so hard to have to give it back isn't it so you still have boundaries you still have yeah, yeah. you still do what you need to do you're still teaching your child right from wrong but you and yeah. too often i think we go to the exactly like you said before the piece about mm-hmm. Oh, imagine how that makes, you know, Johnny feel when you take from Johnny. He's very sad Mm -hmm. about that. And sometimes our kids, if they don't know what's going on for themselves, they don't know how to reflect on others and have empathy for others because they're because they're looking out for themselves. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's this point of kind of like, I don't want to entertain the thought of how lovely that's going to be to play with that because I don't want to build your hopes up. Mm -hmm. So so people might go in hard because they don't want to set their kid up for extra disappointment. So let's call it what it is and say, you stole something. It doesn't belong to you. Let's put it back in your backpack and you make sure that you return it to Johnny tomorrow. I feel like, I feel like there's a, we're compelled to kind of like, like we're resistant to doing the let's, let's imagine what that would be like to play together. I can see why you enjoy this because I think that's a protective state for parents. They don't want to absolutely help their kid further invest in how amazing this experience would be. And right? if parents are worried that their child might take that experience then and, and say, okay, well, that gives me more fuel to want to steal more things, yeah. then you would want to turn the conversation and say, okay, well, what would what, what is it about this toy that you love so much? What would you like to play with it? I wonder if you have, oh, you know your Lego set? I bet you we could do something just like this. Because you know, mm-hmm. this is Johnny's toy and it's and it's and Johnny's gonna really miss his toy. And I know it's hard to understand right now. You'll get there, but now we're gonna pack this up, put this away, and I'm gonna help you make sure that you give this back. So you're you're being the external brain for your child. You're not giving it's yes. error, it's errorless learning, essentially. Mm-hmm. Where you don't give them an okay. opportunity to fail. Yes. I love that. 
And, and you mentioned that in the last episode too, is this inserting confidence that you'll get there, which is part of the actual dialogue with the child to insert that is to say, I see where you're at and I know where we're headed, what you're capable of. We'll get there. But in the meantime, let me help you out. Exactly. In the meantime, let's hook your brain up to mine and I'll make some of the choices here. And then you have natural consequences like things like checking the child's bag and you, but you don't shame them and you say, oh, you know, you know, Sam, you're still learning how to not take things that don't belong to you. So, you know, mom's going to have to check your bag right now. You're going to get there, but this is what we have to do in in the meantime. And it's just matter of fact. It's so interesting, too, because I think we're treating this as an isolation, but with things that happen socially, we often get the feedback from other teachers, other parents, and then we stew in our worry and our embarrassment and our whatever. Our ego's good on the line. Until, oh, for sure. Then the kid comes home and we feel, we feel empathy for the kid who got stolen from. And so when our kid comes home, we're all like guns blazing because we're ready to say, like, Oh, Johnny's mom called me and texted me three times today to say what else was missing from his bedroom. And it must have been you. And here we are, right? Like, that's our, usually our, it's a, it's not like we always catch our kids. It's that we're told like, okay, call from the school. Those are traumatizing, right? We get like, sit and wait. And we get a few of those. We start to go every time the school calls us, we think, oh, oh what's going on now? What's going on now? And when there's a theme like this, that's often in context with in connection with other people. This isn't just a one off thing. These are like patterns that have developed and they impact the relationships our kids have with people. So, And we have to remember that everybody, whether we are five or we are 95, we are wired to want to connect and protect ourselves. Yes. And especially yeah. if you've had adults in your life that have not protected you, that is so hardwired into you to protect, to you do things, you you. You engage in behaviors that you don't realize are trying to protect yourself. And I think that's the way as parents, we need to constantly play detective to our kids then so that they don't think that there is something wrong with them. Um, And we teach them, you know, you'll trust me. It's going to take time though, but you're going to get there. I know you will. Yeah. Okay. Susie, we're moving on to Susie. Susie, Susie, um, loves to tell really big stories, stories that we know aren't fully truthful. Um, She seems to love a lot of the attention that she gets from her peers. Um, And when they kind of buy in or query, the the stories grow. So, and they kind of take on a life of their own, which catches up with Susie because the next day she forgets what she has said the day before and she can't, so then she feels caught off guard. She can't defend herself and she can't remember what she said. Um, and what tends to happen for Susie is that she um, she is really quick to blame other people if she's feeling like she's going to get into trouble. So she has lots of um, reasons that she says about why she had to tell these stories and why it actually is true. She starts to almost seem like she believes the stories that she has said. And um, she's been doing this for a number of years now and she's 10. So she's in um, early middle school and she's struggling because the other kids don't seem to just kind of like forget and start fresh with her the next day anymore. So she's really struggling to hold relationships at a peer level um, in which she desperately wants it. So it's at, it's kind of like in in um, 
it's the opposite effect of what she's hoping for, right? Because she yeah. goes in trying to inflate things to get that attention and that connection. And it ends up backfiring because people don't trust her. Totally. And that's hard. And I'm going to preface yeah. this one saying Susie will need a ton of support from mm-hmm. her parents to believe in her. And especially if she's becoming a, a, a teenager she's preteen at this point mm-hmm. uh it's probably and she's been doing this for years it's probably a, an, an ingrained habit it's her go-to way of being and in a way she's gotten good at it even though she's yes. not good at it this is what she knows so she's laid down like a neural network in her brain about like reading the crowd and she's got it wrong but this is what she does she yeah and she still wants to be connected, like you said. So, so she, it'll be really important to not shame Susie and say, say, Susie, oh, you know, so and so told me again that you were telling you were you were telling this story, and this is what ended up happening. And don't you know that your friends aren't going to believe you anymore, and then you're not going to have any friends? Like that's going to get nowhere. Even though okay. the reason that we do that is that as parents, we play the movie forward and we see what the mm-hmm. outcome is going to be. And so I really understand why we do that. I have done it yeah. as a parent yes. myself, yeah. but it doesn't further the connection piece. Cause so what we really want to do here, so trying to come at it from a paceful way would be to, again, play detective. Why is Susie telling these tall tales? Um, well, she wants people to like her. She wants to be seen by other people. She wants to be seen as special, probably having her own gig. Maybe she sees herself as a storyteller, even though she's terrible at it. Um, yeah. But she wants other people to see her a certain way. And mm-hmm. so if we want to reduce this particularly bad habit as well, too, we're going to have to replace it, I think, with something else that she is good at. Yeah. So like two things came up for me there because I was thinking, well, one is it could be redirected as like, in a one way, she's not good at it because it doesn't give her what she wants in that scenario. But on the other hand, she's so well rehearsed at telling amazing tales and she's super creative that actually that's a gift. Totally. Can can we plant that in the right garden? Exactly. So to speak. Right? Exactly. So like drama students, fantastic. Playwright and do... Like she's 10. So can we start getting her into roles where she gets to take on other characters where that's socially acceptable to play someone else's story out as opposed to own it for themselves and then get kind of busted or caught out that you're lying. You're not telling a truth about who you are. And so therefore I can't relate to you in the same, in a trustful way, right? Like that that's to put it into a different area of practice is actually... A, it's just transferring the skill set to something that she can get genuine praise for rather than in a place where it's, it's going to backfire. Exactly. I think that that's a really good avenue to explore. And again, there's no roadmap here. So if you, I yeah. think it's, it's all about how you approach it. And I often start off, if, if you want to bring it up out of the blue, which sometimes parents do, you don't, you don't, it's not like there's, they're not, they're not, you can't wait for them to bring it up because they're, yeah. there's shame or they're, it's not a comfortable topic. Yeah. So it's not spontaneously going to arise. Yeah. And you don't want to bring it up in the heat of the moment when it's just happened because they're going to feel defensive and reactive and they're not going to be 
regulated and receptive. So you, you want to bring it up in yeah. a time when it's not happened and in a time yes. that there's not other people around where you can just talk about it out loud and provide that safety to explore this topic that is really confusing. And so a couple of options might be, Susie, I have been thinking about something recently. Do you know what I know what that is? And because Susie might be like, what? <laughs> well, I once was thinking of, I was thinking about how you tell these incredible stories, but then sometimes when you tell these stories, you bring in other pieces of information that just, they're not quite true. And I noticed that your friends have gotten mad at you and and then the next day you come home and you tell me about, you know, how Jessica's frustrated with you and you don't understand why and, and, and you f- seem all upset about it and just but I was thinking about that but one thing I've noticed is some a lot of the times your story changes do you know why you do that and just putting it back out there to her well Jessica always gets all the attention she's super funny so like I just want to be funny what's wrong with that like I just want to tell jokes too and I want to I want to, I want, I want the other kids to see that I'm also funny. It's not all Jessica. Susie, that makes so much sense. Obviously you want kids to think that you're funny, Jessica, and Jessica is funny. And so when all the kids are laughing at Jessica and you're sitting over there thinking, wait a minute, don't forget about me. I wonder if you're worried then if the kids are laughing at Jessica, that the kids are going to forget about you. And well, they don't play with me at lunch. They only play with Jessica. It's got to be because she's oh. funny. If the kids and the kids don't play with you at lunch, Je- that would be so lonely, Susie. Oh, Susie, I'm so glad you told me that. No wonder you want to tell funny things so that kids play with you because that doesn't feel good when you have to play by yourself. Yeah. What I'm, what I'm I don't want to go to school anymore. Yeah. Oh, that would be hard to go to school if you're feeling lonely by yourself. How often does that happen, Susie? Well, if I tell really good stories, then sometimes kids will play with me at lunch. Oh, and that must feel so So, good when kids play with you at lunch. Yeah, and then we have like lots of fun. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. I wonder, you are good at telling stories, but I think what happens is that you get worried that you're not going to be able to play with friends the next day or that you might be lonely again. So you tell these really cool stories, but you change them so that they, they stay around, but you, you're also a really smart, smart girl. And you, and there's a part of you that knows that when you do that, that they're probably going to find out, but you're feeling, I I wonder if you feel stuck about how to play with your friends, then have friends stick around and not tell these stories. Well, sometimes if I remember the story, then it works. Wouldn't it be great to find a way if we could figure out how do you, how do you get to keep playing with friends and how do you tell stories that you don't have to work so hard at remembering? Would you would you be open to figuring out how to do that? Cuz I I yeah, I hear in that like this core need to be appreciated or noticed for something that feels, it's kind of like that principle of like kids need someone to adore them. Yeah. Right. And 
if they feel worried that that's not going to happen from adult or peer level, there's such a hunger, right? Like it's so it's insatiable. So that they'll like, do anything for it. Yeah, right. And it and it tends to get overcompensated with like it, the stories have to be that much more elaborate, and they feel like because the desperation feels like it grows if it's they don't same. know how to be. It's the same kid that says, I'm the best at everything. I always win first. I am. It's a grandiose child as well, too. If you peel back those layers, it's it's the child that's scared to not be seen as special or valuable if they don't come in first. Importantly, it's going to take time. If this is a habit, it's not going to be undone Mm -hmm. in a short amount Mm -hmm. of time. It's she's going to have to lay down new pathways in her brain, but we want her to be open to it and to and to have buy-in. And so if she sees herself as wanting to be connected and to see it as a strength, part of it at least as a strength, then, then she might be open to doing drama or something like that. Yeah. And that also makes me think of like long-term change requires kind of these micro moments of success that need to also be mirrored and named because kids don't necessarily pick up on their own good moments, right? Where they've grown in some way. So how do we catch her at being at chain at at like curtailing her story, like containing it to what's more truthful, or and even just noticing that, like I I heard you, I overheard you talking to Billy on the playground today, and I heard you starting to talk about like how amazing our trip was to Disneyland, and then you said something about like it was two weeks long, and then I heard you catch yourself, and then you said actually it was five days, right? So like when when we catch kids going like they heard themselves and then they like changed it to go back to like what's correct or what's that we give them acknowledgement of that. Like I noticed you caught yourself like way to go. Like you, you didn't even need me to remind you of that one. I noticed because everything else in the story might have been a fabrication or like extra, but if you can find the moments, right? Like that we can say, but I noticed that thing that was so, because that's the kind of different version of, it feels to me as a kid, if that were pointed out to me, that it would be similar to you saying to me, don't worry, we'll get there. Because yeah. it's, a, it's a sense of confidence that I caught you finding insight yourself yep. and then doing something with it. And even if that's the one thing in 15 things that went wrong, there's that one thing that went right in that how powerful it is to point that out rather than say, oh, it's still 14 out of 15 that didn't, you know, yeah. that wasn't truthful points. And it's, yeah. it's small changes. It's, it, and especially yeah. for entrenched habits and often it's new ways of being, and you might even need to practice stories then. Hey, so I'm wondering when you tell your friends about this tomorrow, what, what, what might you, what do you want to say? Where do you notice it? You might, what, where you want to, where you want to embellish it? or you want to change it to make it bigger or more great. I wonder what some other strategies might be so that you can, so that you could play with um, your friends on the playground or that you could play with that you might hear hear some, you know, or here's some books that you could bring along to school or some activities or things that like, what are some other things that she can do to create connection where it's not going to just rely on her, on her old coping mechanism. We have to empower her with new strategies. Okay. That makes so much sense. Okay, we have like a few minutes left. Let's do, let's try one more. Let's do one more. Okay, Jesse was adopted when he was five from foster care. He had been in multiple foster homes um, prior to being five years old when he was adopted. He's been with his forever family for over six years now. 
but he still really struggles to sleep in his own room or to be separated from his parents. So sometimes even being in a separate room in the same house triggers um, pretty strong anxiety at times, and his behavior tends to come out as angry and demanding, Hmm. so blaming and upset. So um, if they're in separate rooms and all of a sudden he gets this wave of anxiety, he'll often come out and say, you forgot to give me my snack. And it'll be coming out of seemingly nowhere because he was happily playing in his room and his parents were watching a show in the living room and his little brother wasn't in the bath. And right. And, and all of a sudden he'll just come storming out and say, you didn't do this. You, there's like this moment where he came into contact with like what was owed him. And then he came out demanding it. So these are kind of like, that's one example of how it comes about, but the, the general theme that they've described is that, separation and the, the sleeping pieces of, partic- of particular vulnerability for him. Okay. It's a hard time at night. So first thing, if for any child that has had multiple caregivers, if this, I cannot stress this enough, that attachment wound that is, that if not directly attended to, that doesn't just heal on its own. Yeah. That needs to, that takes time. That takes, um, reflection that takes reassurance to to continue to heal and to create that sense of stability because during those first form few formative years while the brain is developing well the child's sense of self is developing if they've had if they've had to live in multiple homes and Mm -hmm. that that is such a big disruption to a child's sense of like who am I where do I fit in this world who who, who's, I was trying to put the, you know, the apple of my eye. Who am I? Like, who's, yeah. who am I that's yeah. which adult? Who's my essence? Yeah, yes. who's my okay. essence? And so, okay. and so you, sometimes when I work with families, you know, their, their child was, they're adopted when they were younger, let's say like Jesse, five years old, but they continued to have these big behaviors. And so I just, and families will say, well, He's been with us for so, like, we, we've been a family for so yeah. long. Why is, like, is this still an issue? And in part of using PACE would be to bring that up to see, to see, to help the child make sense of, because their reaction is, it's not fit what, what's gone on there. You know, the child coming in out moment, in the moment, in, in the moment yeah. you know, you forgot to yeah. give me my snack. And then a response would be a response if you are constantly playing detective as to what the underlying issue is, which some, you know, we forget, which is why we listen to podcasts like this and we read books and talk to people. Um, We would say, we could say, whoa, that is a, you are, that is really important to you. Thank you for reminding me. I will go get that to you now. Jesse, why don't you come over here and help me? Let's do this together. So first you're building that connection piece because Jesse's mm-hmm. dysregulated. We're not going to talk about anything with Jesse right now. Yeah. He's more in that survival yeah. part of his brain. And so Jesse starts to calm down. Here, Jesse, come stand beside me here. Let me, and you find an excuse to put your arm around him or you give a squeeze on the shoulder, some sort of physical touch, but something that you're trying to signify connection with. I'm just going to start mm-hmm. with that piece, but we can talk about the others after. And then, you know, Jesse sits down at the, t- at the table and this doesn't have to be a long therapeutic conversation. None of these really are in what I'm talking about yeah. here. Cause it's these, it's these little conversations that have these yeah. overall trajectory that create an overall tra- uh, difference in trajectory and create these significant shifts over time. But then 
as the parent, that's where you sit beside Jesse and you could even sit down and snuggle up beside him if, if that's, if he allows that and he wants, to, and he, cause it, if he wants to be close, you might say, you know, Jesse, I was thinking, I wonder if you weren't so mad about the snack, but I wonder if you were worried that I'd forgotten about you. Mm-hmm. And you kind of just like cuddle up right beside him if he'll allow it. If he, if he won't allow it, then you muse out loud. You can say the same thing standing five feet away and talk to the air about it. But if he's yeah. going to allow the connection and with regards to the sleep there, yeah. My, yeah. my mind goes to explore would be talk to Jesse. Again, not a bedtime, not when there's other siblings around, maybe when you're driving in the car, or you're going on a walk, you're playing outside, doing something, just, just the two of you. And saying something like, Jesse, have you noticed at night that, you know, it's so hard to stay in your room? I wonder why that is. Why, why is it so hard for you to stay in your room? And again, the way you say that makes all the difference mm-hmm. in the world. Yes. And Jesse might say, <laughs> well, I, I just, I just miss you so much. I have to be beside you. Oh, it's, it's really hard to miss, to, to miss to miss me and um, and to not be able to see me and this is where and then from there you might reflect on his early life experiences because that's really we want to bring that awareness to him about how maybe what's what went on in the past is impacting him now you know Jesse when you were really little sometimes you you lived in different foster homes and you didn't always know who who was going to put you to bed or you you weren't always safe or you yeah but trying to place past context that isn't shaming it's explaining yes right so it like helps the kid connect the dots yes and that that can be like sometimes we don't know right I think a lot about these scenarios where when we adopt older children and by older I just mean not infant right they've been in a care system prior to adoption there are so many question marks because we weren't no other adult was actually present in that space to verify what they experienced. And so all of that along the way is collected as moments that could have had really quite sustained impact on a child that is in their memory that they can't articulate, but that we are kind of guessing. Yeah, It's in their body. So it's real, but we don't have words for it. And they don't have words for it. Right. And it's not creating something or making something up, but it's like generic kind of like, I wonder if there was a time where it felt like this before. Seems like that's like connecting to, okay, it's not all about this moment. And it's not about you and me. We've been together for six years and every single night we have the same routine. And you know that this is safe. We've never had any bad experiences in this house that would signal that I'm not there for you. But I get that you come with other stories, right? That neither of us could probably name. Yes. But it probably connected to why you feel this way. And that makes sense. Yeah. And, you know, and then taking a stab or taking a guess at, you know, I wonder if you, I wonder sometimes if there's a part of you that's worried that if you wake up in the night and you wake up in the night, you might be somewhere else and you, or you don't, you don't know where mommy and daddy are depending on, you know, I've had kids, I have kids that I work with that have been moved overnight with garbage bags. They have stuff is thrown into garbage bags and they're moved, they're moved the next day. And so it's really helpful. It's very helpful to help them make sense of things that have happened to them and how that, and and how that's impacting them in, in their current day right now. So if you, you know, let's say 
he wants to, you could, he might want to plan, you know, like, or if he's worried, if Jesse is worried that something might happen to him at the night, like what's his plan to get to his parents? So maybe rehearsing something like that at night, you know, and maybe that's building, starting to scaffold trust, you know, oh, I know it's really hard to sleep by yourself. You really miss mommy and daddy. Uh, if he's, if he's younger, you know, I know that you, I know that you're going to get there and that you're worried. You're, you're worried that mom and, you know, mom's not going to be here. Or dad's not going to be here. Um, what are something, what are some things that we can do to, to help you? You ask for Jesse's input. Jesse maybe not has no ideas. And as an adult, then you say, okay, well, I wonder if we can start with, um, you practice going to bed. And then if you have a problem, you, you get into bed right now and then you call out to me and you say, mom, and I'll go down the hall and I'll see if I can hear you. And if you can say, and if I can hear you, then I'll say, I'm coming, Jesse, I'll be right there. So then I'll get up and I'll come and this is what it will look like. So you could, you could practice some of those situations as well too. Uh, you could scaffold with, you know, this, the, you could shape, I guess is what I'm trying to say different situations with like a, even like a baby monitor, maybe he's older, but just having that connection piece to you and that he's not going to be 30 and have a monitor in his room, but it's just continuing. It's, it's taking steps. Graduating. It's graduating him and, and figuring out where he, where he struggles and also Mm -hmm. continuing to build hope and trust and safety that, you know, you're going to go to bed at night. You're going to be safe because sleep is a really Mm -hmm. big concern for a lot of kids. Mm -hmm. And we could do a whole episode on sleep and yeah. and how and how he's going to be safe in the night and wake up in the morning and, and you're still going to be there. Hmm. Love it. Those are some really concrete examples. I like the piece about collaborating because when kids are old enough to kind of come up with their own ideas, they tend to be much more invested in trying them if yeah. it came from them. There's buy-in, right? So just fi- yeah, finding like little open doors to go, oh, be curious if like I'm stumped there. Do you have any ideas? Like I find that often hooks kids into going, oh, hang on, you need my help with this? I'll like, <laughs> I'll try and throw something out. And then it becomes like, oh, we could probably try that. Let's see how that goes. Yeah. And maybe do it in the daytime. Like I think about that too, is like, there's always something we can play with. We don't have to give up if they say, nope, that doesn't work. Then we say, okay, what part of it doesn't work? Think about that too. Like if we break down a problem, Maybe they don't want to practice at night when they're going to bed, but they'll practice at 2 p.m., you know, with the sun's out and they know that something else is going to happen right after and it's kind of goofy and there's other people walking around in the house. That's like kind of fun to do. Yeah. And, right? and it takes practice yeah. and it's going to take, I just yeah. keep encourage. I, I really try to encourage parents like this will take time. And it's, and you, if you keep at it consistently, it's those, that builds predictability, that builds safety, that builds trust. All of those things lead to those positive changes. Well, we made it three out of five. Maybe we'll just, uh, <laughs> I'll save the other two if we ever have time to record again, because these are good. Yeah. This helps me kind of put myself in like somebody's kitchen and imagine like, yeah, I'm the kid. What would I be feeling? And if I'm the adult, what am I struggling with? And all the layers of that. And and I often will find that when I meet with parents, they think that it's just for strategies for their kid. And then they leave the session just feeling like lighter because they had a chance to have somebody not judge them for not having had the answers prior to coming in. Right. So like, 
this is complex stuff. This is not something you should be doing on your own. Get some support. It is so much better when you're not stuck in your own head about it and feeling embarrassed and feeling shame. No one wants to talk about things when you're feeling shame or feel like you should have the answers. Yeah. Two or more heads are always better than one. Amen. Awesome. Well, thanks for today. And we'll talk again soon. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. Thanks for spending time with me today. Remember to check out the show notes for related resources. You can follow me on Facebook and Instagram, or you can also subscribe to my online learning page at my.thrive-life forward slash LRL series, where you'll get updates, extra tools for your toolkit. And if there's a topic that you want me to cover in this podcast, please shoot me a message. I would love to hear from you. Shoulder to shoulder with you, knee deep in this mud. I will see you back here next time.